Have you seen all the new stretch places opening up lately? Well, I get it, because new studies have pointed out that stretching is actually more effective than brisk walking. And I can list off all the benefits of stretching, but it would take up this entire episode. The biggest plus, though, is how it helps people with chronic pain issues that they never thought would go away, especially pain in the lower back or feet. In 2021, an inventor who was struggling with herniated discs named Dan Castle launched an easy-to-use device called the Castle Flex, and it healed him in less than a year. People are saying it's the most effective upper and lower body stretching device ever created. And not just anyone is saying it. Big names like Dr. Sandry of the Atlanta Braves, Martha Stewart, and Yankee superstar Harrison Bader are all posting about how it's helped them. It's a patented device that allows the user to hold an easy-to-grip, weighted, brushed aluminum bar. Your foot goes into a specially designed foot hammock that pulls your toes into complete dorsiflexion, allowing your entire leg to get stretched at the exact same time. Instead of just your calf or just your hamstring, every muscle in your leg is firing at the same time from the plantar fascia all the way up to the glutes. So I tried it for the first time and I have never felt a stretch like this before. It's incredible. It's the same price as one or two massages or a Cairo sessions, and it will be used daily for many years. So it has my vote. This device is like WD-40 for your achy bones and tight muscles. We already checked, and they are USA-owned, vet-owned, and ship from Atlanta, Georgia, with a two-week money-back guarantee. They have sold out seven times since launching in 2021, and they don't do sales. But you're in luck because we got a code for the greatness community. So take advantage and get yourself one by going to castleflex.com. That's castle, like where a king lives, and flex, but with two X's. Get 10% off by using code HOUSE10. That's H-O-W-E-S-1-0 at castleflex, with two X's, dot com success doesn't always mean the gold medal, you know? Like you can do a lot of work along the way and you can be successful without having the thing that is typically defined as the ultimate. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. At the end of your first year, Discover credit cards automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite soup dumpling restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Nope. Discover does it automatically. Seriously though, see terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. Some companies are big. Others are small. To Robert Half, their hiring needs are equally huge. Robert Half has transformed candidate discovery, assessment, and selection by combining custom AI with specialized hiring experience. Whether sourcing talent locally or in any geography that works for you, Robert Half can pinpoint hard-to-find candidates in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Learn more at roberthalf.com greatness. 
From your workout playlist to your social media feed, personal's the way to go. And if personal leads to an affordable price, even better. With the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you get the coverage you want at an affordable price just for you. And a policy that helps cover what's most important to you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com today to create your State Farm personal price plan. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer, availability, and eligibility may vary. I'm so pumped about this because I'm a fan of track and field, and I'm a fan of you and all you've done to really inspire not only uh, the United States, but the world in your last 20 years of competition, showing up as an elite, world-class athlete, representing the USA proudly, and also representing women around the world and empowering women to to be great in their own endeavors as well. So I'm just grateful that you're here. Congrats on everything. Thank you. Um, I was talking to you just off camera how, you know, I was a decathlete and just uh, an average track and field athlete myself. So I just love being around people that are so disciplined like you've been your entire life. It's been 20 years you've been a professional at the highest level. One of the things I wanted to ask you is about now that you've had a little bit of time off from being a professional, how have you navigated the identity you once had that is still there in your past of all your records and all the medals and all the accolades you have and the memories, but you're not living in that currently anymore. You've transitioned your identity into a new stage of life. How are you navigating shifting the old you into the new version of you? It's hard. I, I mean, I have a lot of friends who have gone through it and I always heard that it was hard, but I didn't realize how challenging it would be. Um, in one sense, I feel really fulfilled with the work that I'm doing now. And so that's great. I um, feel really blessed that I kind of moved right into that. But I didn't realize just the sense of loss that I would feel and just like this thing that I've loved and I did for the past 20 years, like all of a sudden it's just it's gone. And I would have loved to, you know, to keep competing. And, you know, if I could have done it forever, that would have been amazing. Um, but I think it does like I've had to do work on identity and like who I am um, apart from like what I've done. And that part has been hard, just, you know, showing up as me, not the Olympian, not the runner, um, and just understanding actually who I am. So I think I'm still very new into it. You're you figuring know. it out. I'm, I'm figuring it out, yeah. There's an amazing documentary called Weight of Gold. Have you seen this? Oh, I have seen Weight of Gold, yeah. It's it's, it's essentially about a, you know Olympic medalists or gold medalists that have trained their whole life to, to have the chance to win the gold, but then go through a lot of depression and anxiety mm -hmm. and sadness and Unfortunately, some of these Olympians take their lives after, you know, because they can't manage the pressure or yeah. they don't know what to do once everything's done. Yeah. Once they're not training for the Olympics anymore. And it seems like you're in a very good state mentally and emotionally, but how have you navigated that? Like seeing other athletes struggle, Yeah. Um, whether they're training or they're done with their Olympic journeys, how... What have you seen and how have you been able to make sure that you're in a healthy state mentally? Yeah, I mean, I understand it because for the majority of your life, you've focused on this one goal. You know, you've trained year after year for this opportunity that comes every four years and you've given everything. And when it comes to the end, 
the sports just keep going. It's on to the next. And so I think that can be really challenging to kind of understand. Um, for me, I think something that helped, I think earlier on, I I did feel like my purpose was like winning medals. And it was like, okay, can I get this world record? Can I do this or that? And then I came to a place where I understood that I was here for more than that. You mm, know, like really? that's amazing. But I think I have more to offer than just running fast. And I think I can have some impact in this world. And so now as I'm transitioning, like I'm holding on to that. Like I know that I have a purpose here and it extends beyond just like what I've done. And I think it's hard because constantly you're pulled back into that, you know, um, because it's what you've done. But I think I, I, what I try to do is just fight it with fact and fight it with work that's purposeful. And you just sometimes you got to keep pushing. So if you're not the most decorated American track and field athlete of all time, who are you? <laughs> um, my favorite title is mom. <laughs> I'm Cameron's mom, and I love to show up in that way. Um, I also love to show up for other women. I love to try to create change, To I, I really found my place, you know, being passionate about that and pushing there. So those are two places right now that I love showing up, and um, I'm really enjoying, you know, fulfilling those titles. But if everyone wants to keep putting you in this old identity, this old box where where you've been celebrated so much in, how do you navigate that? Yeah, it's difficult, but I appreciate that. I mean, I still, I love the sport. Um, I want to advance the sport. So there's all of those things, but I think I have to also, you know, be authentic to who I am in the moment. And um, I'm really, I think also I, I needed a break yeah. Um, <laughs> 20 years, a long time. Yeah. So being so just like tunnel vision, hyper focused, um, I had to step away. You know, that's it's really demanding mentally, physically. Um, and so it's almost refreshing also to like be in these new phases where I'm learning like as an entrepreneur, like I'm there's so much to learn. And I think it also fulfills some of those competitive uh, drives as well. Yeah. How did you learn to mentally prepare for something as simple as a practice to prepare and train in one individual practice like a champion, but also to prepare four years out for a goal, eight years away for a goal, yeah. 10 years away for a goal. How did you stay so focused day in and day out on being great today and also to prepare four years away? I didn't always. I think it was experience over time. I started you know, in the sport as a teenager, as a professional. And I got it wrong a lot. Really? <laughs> I, yeah. And in, in my mind, like it wasn't like just an instant thing where everything clicked. And it's like, okay, I know how to do all these things. Early on, I was figuring it out. Like I'm, I'm a teenager. I'm, this is a new sport for me. I started in high school. And so I'm just trial and error. And then eventually, you know, obviously I had an amazing coach who helped guide and lead me. But I had to make mistakes before I started really dialing and clicking in and understanding like, okay, this is what works for me. This is what allows me to focus. This is how I block out distractions. So it was definitely a process of getting there. And then once I kind of got, you know, my team together and what was good for me, then I could keep taking it further. When were you the most nervous in competition? I'm always nervous, like really? every single time. <laughs> what was the one where you were like, inside you were just shaking so much, or maybe externally feel, you were like trembling? Was well, it probably every time I raced the 400, but I mean, I'm being nervous is like a part of just the process for me. Uh -huh. But, but the, you always look so calm. Do I? I mean, I mean, you're like kind of pacing, you're breathing, <laughs> yeah. but you're not like, 
scared looking. I mean, not to the point where I don't know how to handle it, but butterflies, like yeah. excitement. Like this is the, like every four years, 21 seconds, like this is the oh, moment. Oh man. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I I definitely was nervous for sure. What would you do uh, to prepare in that hour before the race at the at the World Championships or the Olympic Trials or at the Olympics? Yeah, I had a process, and so um, I would get in my zone. I would kind of like to be away from everybody, put headphones on, listen to my music. Um, I would start to visualize. I I love to run the race through in my mind, and I would just think of like, what is the perfect race? How does that look? How do I feel? run that through and then I'd start warming up. You know, I'd get into, you know, the the drills and the blowouts, put my spikes on. And um, I always had this moment where I would think back on all the work I've done. Um, and I'd log everything in like a training workout and I would go back through that and look at it, like physically look back through the pages and just be like, I'm ready. Like I have done the work, like this is like, it's already done now, I have to just execute. And that always gave me a sense of confidence and calm. Even though I had the nerves, it was like, okay, I've done it. Like, let's just go out here and put it together. Would you look at that like the night before the race or the morning of? Kind of like leading up until like while we're tapering, like those two weeks, you know, where it's like, okay, the workouts are in, like, you're just, <laughs> you just have to, you know, put it together now. And that always like made me feel like, okay, I'm, I belong here and I've done the work. Did you ever feel not ready for a race? There were definitely times. I remember in 2016 when I was um, at the Olympics in Rio, I got hurt right before that Olympics, like two months before Olympic trials. And training was going so well up until that point. And then I had this horrible ankle injury and I tore all these ligaments in my ankle. I couldn't run. I couldn't even walk. I was literally in the in the um, pool and on the bike and all this stuff. And so that time I was like, I, the work isn't all there, you know, like I'm relying on trying to go off of conditioning. And so in moments like that, it's like, OK, I, I have to do the best I can with what I have. Um, but doesn't feel great getting on the line like that. How did you feel? Or how did you perform during that, though? Um, I got second in the 400 meters at the Rio Olympics. And yeah. After being injured two months prior? <laughs> yeah. My coach always says like for him, that's one of his, the greatest performances just because of what I had to overcome and what challenges we, you know, we had to face. That was like your Michael Jordan flu game. <laughs> that was my flu game. Right? It's like, <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I'm not trained. I'm not prepared. <laughs> yeah. That's what right. do you think was able to get you to, to deliver that type of result? And how was your time compared to the rest of your times? Yeah, I mean, my time was was pretty much up there consistent with what I had been doing around around that. And I think it was we had a great base, great conditioning. And then we rehabbed around the clock like it was that was my job, like every single tedious thing. You know, we had to make up for what I couldn't do on the track, you know, in the rehab facility, in the pool, or yeah, whatever, yeah. pool, alter G, like all of these different like tools that we had. And I think, you know, obviously being led by a great coach and putting all those things together um, and then just running with a lot of heart and trying oh, to goodness. trying to get it done. That's incredible. Now, when it's 15 minutes before and they're, you know, you're out on the track and you're ready to warm up for it, what else are you thinking about to, to visualize the race? You run through the race in your minds. Are you thinking of anything else? Um, really technical thoughts because, you know, when I do have these nerves and 
you know, I know it's a big moment. Like the technical thoughts really helped me to focus in and, and um, block out the distractions. So, you know, when I'm there, I'm in the blocks, you know, I'm thinking about like, what am I doing with my arms? Like, what do I need to be at 10 meters and making sure my angles are right? And like, by thinking about those things, I'm not thinking about like, oh, all these people are watching me. Or if I mess this up, I got to wait for such and such to do it again. So that was kind of like one of the the, the things that really helped me to stay present in the moment and to execute. What was the perfect race for you that you did? I, I would say the closest to a perfect race, um, Olympic trials in 2012. It was my fastest 200 meter time. Um, Can you set the scene and walk me through the entire yeah, moment of that? It was a really dramatic Olympic trials for me. Um, I, had, I had competed in the 100 meters earlier in the week. And um, we, I tied with my teammate. We had like this dead heat and um, we were supposed to have a runoff. And so everything was like geared for that. They were gonna like broadcast this and they had never had a tie before and there were no like rules in place to have a tiebreaker. And at Olympic trials, only the top three go. We both got third. Come on. So it was like this crazy, so thing. they can't send four. No. It had to be a tiebreaker. Yeah. And it was never either happened. never happened. And they actually had to go back and like put rules in place to figure out what they're going to do. And they're not going to so, flip a coin. Well, that was one of the options. So. Oh, no. <laughs> we actually, you know, we all met and like decided which thing we wanted to do. One of them was flip a coin. We could have a rerun. I don't even, or someone could just offer to relinquish their position. Yeah. Who's going to do that? <laughs> exactly. You go to the Olympics, <laughs> my 20 year dream, I'll just sit back. Yeah. Yeah. So we decided to have this runoff and um, it was going to be like this huge thing. And my teammate actually just decided that that's not what she wanted to do. And so it was just very emotional and dramatic and all of that. So that was like the first part of the week. And then, I come to this race, which is the 200 meters. It's my favorite race. I, I called it my baby. Like I had two silver medals at my first two Olympic games. So like here is the moment where, you know, I want to make the team to get that gold medal that I've been missing. And I just, there was just such a drive within me. I think just everything that I had been through, I just wanted to just make it clear that I was going to make this team. Undeniable. Yes. I just didn't want any question about it. And um, I felt ready. I felt prepared. And I felt excited. Like, I'm ready to go. Got in the blocks. Um, and typically, I the start is not, like, my thing. That's It's just never been a strength for me. And I remember getting a really good start. And just like boom, explosive. Yeah, everything. and I'm with everybody. So usually, like I'm, I'm back there. But if I'm with everybody, I know like this is good. So I, I get out and I'm with everybody, and I'm coming off the turn, and I'm like, I think I'm already in the lead. And for me, usually, I'm like, I'm always coming from behind. It's the last 50 meters, and I'm in the right with the leaders, you know, coming off the turn, and then I just get stronger and stronger and start to pull away at the end, and. I crossed that line. I was like, I'm going to the Olympics. Like, I get, <laughs> that's amazing. I'm, I'm going to be there to try to get this gold medal. Wow. And that was a pretty, yeah, amazing race for that's me. That's amazing. Whatever happened to the, the tie? So she, because she didn't come to the runoff, I got that position to run. And it was just so bittersweet for me because this is also my teammate that I've trained. Like we're in the oh, same man. training group. So, so wait, you ran, did you run that race by yourself? 
I no, they didn't. We didn't she have just to run it. Yeah. essentially because so, she didn't show. Yeah, oh, and man. I just like yeah. So I went and I just felt bad about the whole thing, and it was just kind of weighed on me. And it was yeah. What was the event that you had the biggest letdown? Like the like that you were so set on accomplishing this and for whatever reason maybe you slipped or maybe you just didn't perform as well or maybe something happened the conditions threw you off yeah that you didn't reach the result that you were like i was supposed to get this um beijing so my second olympics that was probably my most devastating outcome and it probably sound crazy because i got a silver medal right and so you know like that's amazing yes <laughs> so that's not lost on me but also this is what I do. And my first Olympics, I was a teenager. I got a silver medal. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host so i am thinking like i'm four years giving stronger. everything yeah. for four years i've done everything that i could and i'm also the favorite and you know everything was set up for me to win this race you know it seemed like it should happen and I didn't. And for me, it was so embarrassing. Mm. Like, I just felt like, man, I'm supposed to be like this phenom. Like, I wanted to make my country proud. Like, everyone is rooting for me. And so I just remember feeling like I just want to disappear. Like, I failed, like, on the biggest, like, stage. And for me, that was, like, the darkest kind of place I had been in and feeling like, okay, well, do I keep doing this? Like, I don't know. Do I commit myself? Like, at this point, I've already been to two Olympics. Like, what if it never comes together? Do I really want to give another four years of my life? So I think I had the most challenging time afterwards trying to, like, make sense of all of that and figuring out, like, do I still even want to, like, do wow. this? How did you, how long, how long did it take for you to get back to a place of either peace or acceptance or, okay, I'm still good enough. I'm going to keep yeah. going. I, it was a couple months and it was, it wasn't me. It was the people around me. Really? It was my family. It was my coach. It was my friends. Like they were the ones that could still see the vision. Like I was too in my feelings, like just down on myself, just like, and it was them pulling it out of me. Like really? you can still do this. Like, you know, you, if you dedicate yourself, like you can still get there. And so eventually I started listening to, you know, my circle and the people around me and um, went back at it. How important is it to surround yourself with a powerful circle of people that not only believe in you, but help you build your own self-belief? It's everything. Like for me, I, there's nothing that I accomplish by myself. Like I lean on so many people. I mean, track is seen as like this individual sport, but like we absolutely have a team, everything from your training partners, your coach, your management, like everyone is working for this common goal. And so, yeah, I go out there by myself, but I've been prepared like 
everyone has poured into me. And so I, it's, it's critical. And I didn't always have the right team. Like I had to make, especially after 2008, that's when I kind of reevaluated everything. I was like, what changes can I make? Like I've been doing this now. And I, if I keep doing the same thing, I don't think I'm going to have the result. Um, so I looked at everything. I started working with my brother. Um, he became my manager and then we just started putting the pieces together. And for me, that was like a huge turning point. Mm. Around the start of summer, it's such a perfect time for getting away, whether that's near or far, somewhere, anywhere will do. On Booking.com, you can choose from thousands of unique stays across the U.S., from hotels of all sizes to beach houses, wooden cabins, whatever type of trip you want to take, whether it's laying on the beach, camping in nature, taking a city trip, you can find the accommodation that's perfect for you on Booking.com. And people always ask, beach or mountains? And I say, why not both? And it's one of the reasons I love living in Los Angeles. But if you don't already get both the beach and mountains, Booking.com has it all so you don't actually have to choose between the two. Maybe this is the year you finally get to sleep outside underneath the stars. Or you could visit the pool of your dreams at a hotel you had never even heard of. The possibilities are endless with Booking.com. Go to Booking.com to find your perfect place to stay this summer. Booking.com, booking yeah. You can crush your fingers and all your toes during a data center migration. You can knock on wood, pluck a dozen four-leaf clovers, or look to your lucky stars for a successful office expansion. You could hold your breath, shut your eyes, and say all the world wishes to help avoid cyber attacks. But none of that truly helps you. Because Next Level Moments need the Next Level Network. With the security, reliability, and expertise to take your business further. AT&T Business, the network you can rely on. Yeah. When was the time that you doubted yourself the most? I think I've had to fight doubt throughout my career. Really? For sure. Um, I'm trying to think. I would say probably like the last Olympics is when I had the most doubt, for sure. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being you've got 100% confidence in yourself, you're, you know, zero doubt, 1 being you're doubting yourself all day long. Where were you on that scale? I was probably like a four, I think. Really? <laughs> Going into your last Olympics? Yeah. I, I think, and sure. even before. Like you trying just won to a world championship, <laughs> didn't you, like a couple years prior? And But I had become a new mom. Like I had all of my, the whole ordeal with Nike. Like I had what I felt like the whole world saying like, you can't do this. Yeah. And so I felt like it was only like my circle where I felt that like support and like belief. Um, and other than that, it's, I felt myself listening sometimes to the voices of like, you're too old. You're on to another chapter. You're a mom now. Like you need to focus on that. And that trying to combat that with like, you know, fact of like training and result, like that's a hard thing to to navigate. So I definitely felt the pressure of that. So you felt like you were at a four in terms of self-confidence and belief leading up to the last Olympics. Did it, were you a four at the Olympics or did it start to shift and go a little stronger? Yeah. Once I finally, once I made it to the Olympics, sounds cliche, but like that was the victory. Like that was Just the qualifying. Thing. Qualifying yeah. because nobody thought I could do that. You know, like at this point I'm 35, like I have this new baby, like there's all these things. Um, what, how many events do you qualify for? 
I qualified in the 400 and then I the was individual on the 400 and, then, and the relay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was just like such a relief even to be there. And then it really shifted for me. I think that was the first Olympics I ever wasn't solely focused on like the time or the medal. Like that was the first one where it was like, wow, like I'm representing women, like I'm representing mothers and like anybody who has been told they couldn't do something like I am showing them that that's possible. And that just gave me a different outlook and a different purpose than ever before. Cause always when I came before, it's like, I am, I'm hyper-focused on like the only thing that matters is a gold medal. Right. Anything else than that is like failure. So this gave me a shift in that. Interesting. And also right before then, you know, I don't know the full story, but essentially Nike wasn't in support in some ways because you become a new mom or they weren't. Yeah. What, what was the whole situation that happened there that led you to saying, I need to do something for women with my own vision of this, this brand that you have now? Yeah. So in track and field for as long as I can remember, um, there has been this like culture of silence around pregnancy and starting families. It's been really difficult. And in so, track and field. In track and field specifically. In in America or over the world? I think all over, you know, um, in the sport for sure in America. Um, that's who I was in contact with. So basically I was seeing my friends struggle through motherhood. I saw them either hide pregnancies if they needed new contracts. I saw their contracts get paused. Um, I didn't, there wasn't like this shining example of like a mother who's like dominating and like killing mother, like doing all the things. It was more so like the struggle, not because they weren't capable, but because the support wasn't there, it wasn't in place. And so for me, when I felt like I wanted to start a family, I was really scared because I was like, I don't, I think that this could happen to me too. Um, Even as one of the top stars. I was scared, yeah. But I did feel like I had waited, you know, I had already gone to four Olympics. I felt like I had accomplished enough where I'm like, okay, maybe I'm safe. <laughs> right, right, that was I've like my enough. mindset. And so I'm like, I'm gonna go forward with this. But my negotiations with Nike, who I, at that time I had been with almost a decade, um, even before I said that I was pregnant, the negotiations already were 70% less than what I had been making previously. Interesting. So it wasn't a good deal already. Already. You know, it, whether gotcha. it was I was too old or whatever the thing was, we were already at that place. Okay. So they were kind of like, hey, you know, we'll keep you around essentially with this. On to but, the next. But we're, we're investing in the yeah. a generation that's coming up now, Yeah, essentially. So that just amplified my fear. I'm like, I've already seen what happens. And so I made the decision to do what a lot of women in my sport had done before. I hid my pregnancy. Wow, really? Yeah, and it was crazy. I, For how long? And now, how old are you at this time? So um, I'm 33, and I am still competing. Like I, at the beginning, I still try. I'm like, <laughs> we're coming up the hills of like Serena, and I'm like, I can do this. Like, wow. <laughs> so I'm still, you know, racing a bit. I'm training. Um, eventually, I get to the point where I can't continue to do that, and I still I train in the dark. Because at this point, I don't, <laughs> I don't have an offer on paper. So I have a verbal 70% less, but there's nothing on paper. And so my fear is that they find out that I'm pregnant and then and that just disappears. Nothing. Yeah. So, so you're, what, you're like two months pregnant, three months pregnant? I like started, so I stopped competing about two months and then I'm still training. And, you know, this is, this is ongoing. So this is going over a long period of time. So I'm four months, I'm five months, I'm still in the dark, I'm rarely leaving my house, I'm oh wearing baggy goodness. clothes, like all of this. For someone who's always wanted to be a mother, 
it was so hard because all these moments I had dreamed of, it's like, I'm not experiencing any of that. The baby shower is like any of, any of that. So you're almost living in shame. Yeah. To have hiding. the thing that you're most excited about, which Absolutely. is starting a family. You're living in shame. You're hiding it. You're going out, you're sneaking around in the night. Yeah. It's like, it's you're, like a, crazy. you're like, you're like a kid trying to like break the rules from your parents almost yeah. like, you know, sneaking around. Because I'm growing a life wow. inside of me. Wow. How did that make you feel hiding it? I, it felt horrible. You know, it felt like it should have been this moment that was celebrated. And I felt like so much was taken from me, you know, so many, you, you never get to have your first child again. Um, so it was really challenging. And in that time, I decided to really shift my ask away from the financial aspect of it. And what I asked for was maternal protections. And Basically, what that means in track and field is our contracts are performance-based. And so the Olympics, the World Championships, you go, you medal, it's a bonus. But you don't, it's a reduction. Now, if you have a baby during that time, or if you just had a baby, there's nothing in place to protect you. So essentially what was happening in the sport is that women were just, their salary was being cut and cut, and they were pushed out of the sport. And so I asked for time to be able to recover. Um, you, and, you asked Nike or you I asked, asked USA Nike. Track and yeah. Field? Or? I asked Nike because the, the sponsor is your, that's your main income. Revenue, we don't yeah. get paid, you know, from our federation. So. so you asked them in the contract, there wasn't a new contract yet. So you're still finishing. Yeah, the I'm asking for a terms in that contract. Interesting. That it be laid out maternal protection. Even even the 70% less, you were like, give me The money was just like, I could take the disrespect of that. But like, I felt like this is something that could change things. You know, this could change the culture. Right. So I focused on that. I asked for that. And they told me, yes. Like, I'm like, this is great. This that's is what I'm cool. asking for. That's cool. That's nice. But when the contract came back, it there was no legal terms that tied the time that they were willing to give me for other female athletes. They weren't ready to set that precedent. So they're willing to do it for you, but not for yeah. all female they athletes. They said they wanted to take it on a case-by-case -case basis. Interesting, okay. For me, that just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't accept that. Like, I felt like, you know, we need to change this for all women, for all female athletes. And I think also, because this went over such a long period of time, I ended up having my daughter and I had um, I had a very traumatic birth experience. I gave birth to her two months early. And mm. I think all of that, just like having a daughter and thinking about like her life and what she's going to go through. And that just made me feel like I can't, I can't like accept this. And so um, I made the decision to, uh, to write a New York Times op-ed and to speak out about what I was, what was happening for me. And also other teammates of mine had done the same. And um, yeah, we pushed for change. And after that op-ed came out, it was about two weeks, a little over two weeks later that they ended up changing their policy. So Nike did. Nike did. Yeah. So I had parted ways. Pretty, so you had already parted ways. For me, it was, you know, but for the women that, you know, were there and came after, it's amazing. And today they offer 18 months of protection. Um, so yeah, it was great. You know. So they were trying to, they were trying to, it sounds like they were trying to do it for you, but they weren't ready to do, do it, it for, for everyone everybody. yet yeah. until you kind of pushed through in this yeah. message and the platform and speaking out and then more women started to yeah. get on board with that as well, which is amazing. Yeah. So it was Congra terrifying. And congratulations though. <laughs> it was scary. I you can know, imagine. 
Because it's your livelihood. It's your, yeah. it's your and income. And it's Nike. Like, you know, this You don't want to upset massive, them. Yeah. yeah. And so for me, I didn't know what was on the other side of that. Like, I I was terrified. I, I knew I still wanted to compete. I wasn't sure what was next. Um, so it was a really difficult time. I was, you know, obviously grateful. I wish it wasn't such a fight to get to that point, but grateful for for that outcome. But that that's what happened um, before my final Olympics. Wow. And yeah. so how were you able to bring in an income after that? Yeah. If, if they weren't sponsoring you anymore, what did you do? So after that, um, I had this meeting with um, Athleta. They're owned by Gap. And just, I kind of didn't think anything of it. I was like, you know, at this point, I'm just, you know, I'm, I believe in what I'm doing, but I'm not sure if I'm going to have another sponsor. And so um, our mission's just really aligned. They're, they're a female company, female-led. And I was like, oh, this is it's feeling really great. And so we partner together and they're my apparel sponsor. And that was amazing. It felt really empowering because I saw just a different way to do business. Um, but I didn't have a footwear sponsor. So at this point, you know, I'm training for the Olympics and I don't have shoes to wear in the Olympics. And for me, I think I was just just upset and just tired. You know, I'm having this conversation with my brother, who's my manager, and but I'm speaking to him as just like my big brother. Sure. And I'm like, I am so just tired of begging companies to see my worth and value. Like, I can't believe I'm at this place in my career and I don't feel like I'm seen. Like, I don't feel like anybody believes in me um, in that aspect. And so he was like, I think that we should just do this ourselves. And I'm like, like, do what? Like, <laughs> like, like create shoes like how does that work like it's and um the more that I sat with what he was saying I'm like no you're right like we we couldn't do this ourselves like here is our opportunity instead of begging somebody else to create the change like we could be the ones to create it wow and so that's what we did what um, year was this so this is at this point this is 2021 20 2020 when we're having like these right ideas. before the, like a yeah. year before the Olympics yeah we're right in the middle of the pandemic, too. Exactly. Which is crazy to think of forming a company, a shoe company, during a pandemic with, you know, the supply chain issues I'll and all, the, just all of the things. But I think the thing about it was that, yeah, shoes, but also purpose. Um, like, this is about women deserving better. And if we have to be the ones to go there, then we have to do that. And what we thought we were doing was just making shoes that I could wear in the Olympics. Like that's what our understanding of it was. And maybe other women would want to wear those shoes too. But what we learned as we went down this research and, you know, this new industry is that shoes haven't been made for women, tennis shoes. So a tennis shoe is made off of a, a lass, which is just a mold of a foot. And it's been the mold of a man's foot to make women's sneakers. And when I learned that, I was like, no, we cannot be an afterthought. And I think it took me time to even really like understand that concept because, you know, you go into a shoe store and, you know, we've all been in, in a footlocker and you see there's like a women's a wall, right? There's like men's and women's or we've been to the women's department. Like we've seen shoes for women, right? And like it took breaking down, understanding that that's just marketing. Like, it's the exact same shoe. Like they might throw some pink on it. Right. But like, it's a smaller. Yeah. It's, it's a not even, it's not even proportionally small. Like it's, and there are differences, significant differences between a man's and a woman's foot. And so 
just understanding that and, you know, being able to run with that, it was like, okay, we're, we're doing this. So you, you built the shoe for the Olympics was kind of like the first stage, right? It's yeah. like, how do I build it so I can have my own shoe mm -hmm. and be able to tell the story? But then launching a company and building something beyond that, that's, that's a lot of work though. It's a lot of work. How did you, <laughs> how have you navigated this? Yeah. And how can people get involved? Yeah. I think the first thing is not, uh, we didn't know how much work it was going to be. And I think there's a beauty to that. You know, had we known, naive, who knows? No, just launch a shoe company. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, Nike did it. Let's just say. <laughs> we can do this. But it, it's been challenging, you know, um, for sure. But I think knowing why we're doing it, you know, that we see women and we want to be different. Like we have a maternity returns policy, which when a woman becomes pregnant, her shoe size often changes. And that change in size oftentimes it's permanent. And so in our company, if you have that happen to you, we'll give you a new pair of your shoes, of our shoes in your size. And so just saying like, we wanna push the industry, we wanna do things differently. Obviously we're making shoes specifically for women to fit the form of a female foot. But our purpose, we believe is much deeper than that. It's to say that we see women and that we wanna do more. We're all about community, that's a huge, it's just as important as the shoes that we create, you know, bringing women together and learning for them. And so. I think the way that we can, people can get involved is to support, buy our shoes. To me, it's a, a signifier that like I stand with women and mm. I want, I'm a change maker and I'm about this and um, be a part of our community. And we just, we want to push things. We want to push the industry and um, really say that women deserve better in, in all aspects. I love that. I'm going to, what's the, how can we go buy a pair? Yeah. So it's sash.com, S-A-Y-S-H.com. I'm getting four uh today for my for my mom my two sisters and my girlfriends so i'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure that. yeah i appreciate the support i'm gonna make sure to get those today for you um something you mentioned there a minute ago about owning your worth mm. now as a five-time olympian is that right five times yeah. <laughs> how many gold medals have you won <laughs> um seven so five-time olympian seven-time gold medalist but more medals beyond that world championships how do you how did you lose sight in owning your own worth after accomplishing so much yeah not even the accomplishments but just the daily efforts you put in which i think a lot of people forget like you have put in so much daily effort yeah. to get those results whether you got the results or not you still put in the effort yeah which is meaningful and i'm curious how did you learn to remember your own self-worth when you started to lose it? And for women watching who are thinking if Alison Felix lost her self-worth mm -hmm. with all these accomplishments, I have no chance of gaining my self-worth yeah. with all the struggles that I might be facing. Yeah. What advice would you have to women who maybe don't believe in themselves, that don't feel like they have worth or people aren't giving them what they feel like yeah. they're worth? How can we learn to own our worth no matter what anyone else does or says? Yeah. For me, I think I was losing it because I was listening to what the world was telling me. Like when Nike offered me the 70% less, I think I got to this place where I was like, well, maybe that is what I'm worth. You know, maybe it is beyond me. Maybe I'm not capable. Mm. I start feeding into like these criticisms and 
I'm not listening and remembering, you know, what I've done, what, like you said, what I've put in. I'm starting to get distracted by other people talking who don't know me, who don't know my work ethic and all of those things. And I start listening to it. But I think more than anything, it's believing that my identity is a track runner. It's believing that all I have to offer is running fast. And I think when I start pulling myself away from that and I start saying, my value isn't being a mother, my value is being a daughter or friend or a partner, that's where I feel most fulfilled. And so I'm absolutely worth, I have so much worth apart from what I do. And I think we have to break down those barriers of our, our thought process and what, you know, I think constantly, you know, you talk to people and the first question is like, what do you do? But it's like, that's not who I am. And I, for me, it was coming back to who am I, you know, because I'm not just what I do. Wow. The thing that I'm hearing you say is you're talking about thought process and who to listen to. And it sounds yeah. like you were listening to the wrong people, which went back to the beginning of your career where you started to build a circle of people yeah. that believed in you and that spoke into your vision Absolutely. in a positive way. But somehow along the way, you started to hearing the outside world and the noises and, and the criticisms of others. Yeah. So which goes back to thought process and your circle. Yeah. The people you keep closest. That would be my encouragement for other women is like, it's it's your circle. It's your tribe. It's your people who, who speak into you, who pour into you, um, who build you up. Like, you know, you want to have those people on your team and you want to be able to do that for them as well. You want to be able to celebrate, you know, each other um, and uplift each other. And so to me, that's like, that's the game changer right. when you can have people you rely on. I think you're in a great example to show people and for people to hear and listen to this, that even if you reach the top of the world in something, if with, of, the, of an identity of whatever event that you're in in life, you can still fall susceptible to criticism and voices. And how hard is it to keep a positive thought process for yourself, even when you're at the top? How hard was it for you? You can crush your fingers and all your toes during a data center migration. You can knock on wood, pluck a dozen four-leaf clovers, or look to your lucky stars for a successful office expansion. You could hold your breath, shut your eyes, and say all the world wishes to help avoid cyber attacks. But none of that truly helps you. Because Next Level Moments need the Next Level Network. With the security, reliability, and expertise to take your business further. AT&T Business, the network you can rely on. I can't keep this in anymore. I can't even believe I'm saying this, to be honest. You know you can tell me anything. I'm capital VFD42, capital Z, lowercase m, underscore, lowercase p, capital L, reverse, slash, apostrophe, lowercase rs. <sighs> I know how you feel. Just between us, I'm underscore comma dash underscore dollar sign capital G lowercase w comma forward slash dash dash reverse slash. No way. I am so glad we had this conversation. I know. Me too. Turn on total privacy with end-to-end -end encryption. WhatsApp. Message privately. I think it's difficult. I think also in the moments that you think are going to be everything and at the ultimate top and the goal that you always had doesn't necessarily feel like what you thought, at least in my experience. Give me an I example. My third Olympics, I finally win the 200 meters. So I got those London? two. Where is this, this is London, London in 2012. So those first two Olympics, you know, silver medals, I get to that third Olympics and I'm like, okay, I've, I've done it. Like I finally put it together. I get that gold medal. 
And I remember feeling, I think the emotion I felt more than anything was relief. It was like, okay, that weight is off of my shoulders. Like I finally did the thing that I, you know, that I hadn't done yet. And obviously like I'm happy, I'm joyful and all of that, but I had built it up to be so much that I just didn't live up. I thought my life was going to just be like completely different. I remember coming home from London and, you know, amazing, cool things are happening, but pretty much like everything is the same. Like after two months of press and the tour and people celebrating you, people move on. You move on to the next thing and you're with yourself. And I think that I, you know, it took time to unpack, but that was the moment where I really understood like it's about so much more than the track stuff. Like there's got to be more to it than that. And so I think in the moments where you have everything, you know, it's that there's more purpose there, you know, that there's a bigger reason for it. That's so interesting you say this. I'm going to, you know, relate in a much lower level than you because I didn't win a Olympic gold medal. But when I, when I heard my, when I was at the national championships in the decathlon, I was telling you this earlier, and I, the last race, the second day of the decathlon, it's a 1500. I was exhausted. Oh, yeah. Exhausted. I did not want to run. And I was not a distance guy. I was yeah. like, put me in a hundred and that's about as much as I want to go. And I knew my coach said, you've got to, you can't let these guys beat you, these certain guys. And you can't let these guys beat you by this much, this many seconds. So you kind of got to like know where you're going to be. Yeah. And I got to see, can I even break my PR? Like I need to get this, this time. And I remember crossing and it was pretty tight. And she goes, I don't know, like it's tight. Cause I was in ninth place Okay. going into the final event. And the top eight is the All-Americans. And so I'm just sitting there for about 15 minutes as they're calculating all the numbers before they get the podium up and they start calling everything. And I knew that if my name was not called first, because it went from eighth to first, I wasn't going to make it. Yeah. And thankfully, my name was called right away. So I was like, oh, <laughs> like this weight, this relief. Yeah. Because it was like training for so long to try to create this goal to happen. But here was the funny thing. I was happy, but late that night at dinner, I started to get like this... I don't know if it was an expectation hangover. I don't know if I was supposed to feel something different, mm -hmm. but I almost kind of got a little mad and angry and had a little bit of an attitude energetically because I think I was supposed to feel something else yeah. and I didn't feel it. Yeah. Now, this was a dream I had my entire life at that point mm -hmm. as a 22 year old to be, you know, go to the national championships and be an All-American. For some reason, I thought like all my relationships would be better with my parents when they were there, when they were struggling. And I thought things were just going to be yeah, this fine. Is, and it wasn't. Yeah. I, I've been there. Right? Yeah. And to me, the crazy thing is like when it was the disappointment, I felt that. You know, that I felt. Like that was a devastating feeling. But when it was the success, it didn't feel as I thought it should feel. And I, I think, you know, every person is different, but I think... Oftentimes people who have success feel that way, you know, and you have to unpack what that is for you. And for me, it's like, it's the journey also, you know, it's this process, like that's where the magic happens, like along the way. And I was able to kind of look back and say like, oh, wow, like I've had this amazing road to get to this process. And that's where I became like the person that I wanted to be. Like that was the beautiful part of it. Like, this is just the end result. But I think there's something about embracing those ups and downs. And for me, the silver medals along the way that, you know, that's a, a huge part of it. Oh, man. Silver is, 
<laughs> it's hard to, yeah. Silver is hard to talk about because there's so many people in the world that would dream to have I, a silver medal. I get medal. it, yeah. To, go, to just go to the Olympics and win a silver medal is like unheard of for the wor- most of the world. Absolutely. But when you're the best, a silver is probably one of the most devastating things. I'd rather get a bronze than a silver. That's what right? everyone feels, yeah. I'd rather get third place and know, oh, I had a lot more training to do, yeah. or they were just way better than they me. They always say if you look at the medal stand, like the silver position is always like <laughs> the, frowning. the most unhappy, you know, because the bronze is like really happy. I made it. Obviously the gold, but yeah, that silver is it's kind and of you got a it twice one. back to back. Olympics. Back to back. Oh, oh man, that's like a knife that just, oh, the emotional wound. Yeah, we're talking about hundreds of a you know, like, oh no! How do you improve that? Oh so, gosh, it makes me want to throw up. Yeah, and you're—it's like eight years of your life for two silver medals, essentially. How did you, after the second one, compose yourself and and go back into the process and not think about the result? I, it was really hard not to think about that result. That, like, definitely, even to this day, like when I see pictures from Beijing, like it takes me back to a very not great place. But um, I think just pulling myself out of that, you know, was hard. I had to allow myself to feel it all. To like, grieve, to yeah, be angry, Like, sad. this wasn't what I wanted to be. Like, I, I did. It was a disappointment. Like, feel all, like all those emotions are valid. But then once, like, I make the decision to take on the new goal, then it's like committing to that and saying, like, I'm going to show up and give this all. And I think I also had to come to a place where maybe it wasn't going to come together. You know, maybe that wasn't for me. I'm glad it was. But yeah, it feels good to get that monkey off your back. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think you have to have the acceptance that like success doesn't always mean the gold medal. You know, like you can do a lot of work along the way and you can be successful without having the thing that is typically defined as the ultimate. I'm so glad you're saying this. And again, there's people going to be saying, well, yeah, but you got the gold medal. So it's yeah, easy for you to say I, this. Fair. However, uh, I was telling you off camera that for nine years I was playing with the USA national team for yeah. Team Handball. And the dream was to go to the Olympics. And I haven't qualified for it yet. I'm not saying I'm not going to, but it hasn't happened. Yeah. And even though in nine years we didn't qualify for the Olympics, I have got to live experiences and meet people and travel the world and play against Olympic teams at the highest level and train and get hurt and get better and all these different things that happened to me, even though the dream didn't come true, it was still a dream come true. Yeah, I love and that. And I get chills just thinking about like, I pursued it. I was on the pursuit for almost a decade of something that I dreamt about. Yeah. That I felt like was calling me forth to go after this thing. And it has been a beautiful journey. Now there is still sadness that I haven't qualified for the Olympics. Yeah. There's still some let down emotions. There's still some bruises and pain that I've had to experience. However, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's been incredible, the journey and who I became in the journey. So I, you know, there's only one champion in the the Olympics or in the sports. There's only like so many people who are number one at that thing for that season. It doesn't mean you can't become number one in your life in the pursuit of that thing. Absolutely. And I think sometimes the dream isn't what you imagine. That doesn't mean that it's not fulfilling. It doesn't mean that you're not on the path that you should be. And I think that's true in so many different aspects of life. Like we might set out to do this thing, but maybe that's not the thing that's for us. Maybe it's this thing over here. And 
you don't find that out without, you know, starting off on one path and you end up where you're supposed to be. And, you know, even in my life and my career, like, yes, it was amazing to win a gold medal. Like, do I think that's my absolute purpose? No, like, I think I'm living it now. Like, I think it's advocating for women. I think it's having impact. Like, those are the things that to me will leave a greater legacy and impact than, you know, just the the gold medal. Yeah. You talked about your circle of of coaches and mentors and team that you had for the last really 25 years. Who is the most influential person during that time throughout the whole journey that really taught you valuable lessons that you still live with today after your track and field career? Such I mean there's I feel like there's so many people who poured into me and you know, everyone from my coach Bobby to his wife, Jackie Joyner Kersey, she's been to say, Oh man, St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> lived in St. Louis for a while. So, an incredible mentor who yeah. just like made it real for me. Like, obviously, she's this like iconic athlete, but like the best person who just, when I got that second silver medal in Beijing, just like constantly checking on me, like, are you good? Are you okay? Like, like that has been incredible. I think. My obviously my family has just been huge in this, but my brother is someone who like specifically sticks out. You know, we work together. Um, he's my big brother. Like he's a hero to me. But I think about like all the hard parts of my career. He's been that constant and he's challenged me and he's encouraged me. He's when I was going through the whole Nike thing, like he empowered me even in starting. We started Sage together and just him feeling like, you know, why wouldn't I be able to do this? You know, I, and I, I feel like we all need that person in our life who's going to like speak into us and challenge us to do the thing that we might be scared to do, but that we're supposed to do. So, yeah. What's the thing you love about your brother the most? Gosh, um, I think his the way he sees the world, like it's a, a very beautiful way. Like he sees the positives. Um, he's like very much a visionary in the way that for me, I think I'm like the opposite. I'm like, I see all the the negativity and like, oh, well, all the obstacles that could get in our way. And like, he sees this beautiful like end result. And I think that's what like, we work really well together because we complement each other well with those things. But I love just the way that he sees the world and that he sees people. Mm, that's beautiful. I'm curious about, I'm, I'm a huge fan of mindset. I've been studying it for a long time from my athletic days, but also just in the business world and, and everyone that I've interviewed here for the last 10 years, in the last 1400 episodes, I've been fascinated by people at the top of their game, like yourself, who have been consistent with it for years. I'm curious, in your experience, what was the greater fear for you to overcome? Was it the fear of failure? the fear of success, or the fear of other people's opinions about you? Ooh, that's a heavy one. I think it would be the fear of failure. I think the fear of like dedicating my life to something and not reaching that point. And I think along with that also comes the fear of like what other people think, the embarrassment. Yes. Like yes. I think it goes hand in hand. Um, but for sure, those were probably the things that stick out. Were you never afraid of success? No, success was never, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I never really let my mind like go there. Or that's not really, the medals never like, the physical medal, like that wasn't really what it was about. It was like, can I do this thing? Like, can I accomplish it? And I, 
I guess I never really thought too much of what would happen when it, if it happened. It was more so like, if it doesn't happen, the <laughs> right, weight right, of the all of that. Yeah. yeah. Who was the the athlete that you either trained with or against or, you know, men's and women's team in the world in track and field that you felt like had the most incredible mindset, like just the eye of the tiger, killer yeah. mindset every time you'd see them on the track. Maybe you you trained with them, competed against them, or watched them, yeah, men or women. Who was it in the last 20 years that was the ultimate competitor mentally? I mean, for me, it's it's Kobe Bryant, like All outside right. of my sport. Like, you know, I've just ever since I had the pleasure of meeting him, just the ultimate mindset, you know, um, and just even trying to like break that down a bit and just the way that he approached and loved the game of basketball. Yeah. To me, that just fascinated me. Like there was something just so pure about the pursuit of that and the pursuit of only kind of accepting this greatness and that excellence and just bringing that to every single time he touched the basketball. Yeah, really, yeah. he was incredible. What about track and field? Who was the who was the athlete that you the athlete that in track and field that um, you got to watch or witness or you or maybe it was just one performance where you were just like you witnessed an energy before race during and after that was like unbelievable. I competed a lot um, against Veronica Campbell Brown um, in in my race like that when I got those two silver medals she got gold. Um, <laughs> but I always just had a really great respect for her. Um, I I felt like the way she approached it like always bringing her a game and in return i felt like it pulled more out of me and so to me there was always just um a mutual respect there and of of the craft and of how you approach like the sport like that's something that i could really appreciate and that i that you didn't always see sure and what about on the men's side the men i mean obviously i i think the way that usain ran like there was always something that was like that I just couldn't grasp because like there is obviously like just the, the talent level alone was blows you away. Because would, would, would they race first and then you guys run afterwards or it was, just flip flop sometimes, but, but I've was, been but if in you're the, doing the 200. It's right after each other. right? Yeah. Yeah. Usually. Um, I mean, but I've been in the stadium, you know, some other times when he was competing and I wasn't, and you know, just to be able to like witness the things that he did, I think, the thing that always stuck out to me is like, it seemed so effortless. Like it was such a different experience than myself. Cause I was like, I gotta be like dialed in, in the zone. Like one thing can't go wrong. And like, you know, he's having fun. And he's, he's just bumping people yeah. right before the blocks. He's, he's you know, hanging out, he's, he's falling over himself. His getting... hands are up before, you know, way before the finish line. So I just, to me, I was always fascinated by like how he was so great and did it so effortlessly and had so much fun. Like I just, yeah, it just really was interesting to Did me. Did you ever ask him or get to connect with him on his philosophy or just his mindset? I think he was having fun, you know? I mean, I don't want to speak for him, but um, yeah, we, you know, came into the sport at the same time and competed against each other. I mean, not against each other, but at the same time for a very long time. Um, and I think that's what stuck out to me is like, that's who he is. Like he's genuinely just like, being himself and showing up in that way. And it was a really cool thing to be able to see. That's amazing. What's the vision for you now? Again, after this, you know, 20 year inspiring career of accomplishing so many different things. Now you've got this, this 
women's shoe brand that you're, you're, which is more than that. It's a bigger purpose and a community behind that. You're a mom. What is the, what is the mission and the purpose you have for your identity and your life moving forward? Yeah. To me now it's, it's about impact. Like that's, to me, impact is success now. Um, it's really shifted away from these performance things. Um, of course, like I want my company be, to be successful, obviously, but I think deeper than that, I want it to have impact. Like I want it to change things for people. Um, and to me, if I can, if that can be successful, if, if people can feel something different, if they can feel seen, that's what I want to to be about and so moving forward i think that's really where my focus is why do you think people struggle with being seen i think that's just hard in this world you know as a woman there are so many hardships you know whether it's you're doing the same job as a man and you don't feel seen you're not making the same amount of money you don't feel seen um you're having a baby and you have to hide it because you don't feel like your worth is going to be seen so i think that there's all these different ways that comes out. And for me, like I've been able to talk to so many women. When I wrote that op-ed, there was just a pouring out from people who had their own stories. And to me, that was encouraging in one aspect, but heartbreaking that so many people aren't being seen, you know, aren't being able to show up as their full selves. And I think that was just the eye-opening experience that like there's there's more work to be done here. Yeah, it's beautiful. I've got a few final questions for you before I ask them. Is there anything we can do to be of service to you today besides making sure we support the brand, buying some shoes, getting the message out? How else can we support and serve you? I think celebrating women, you know, celebrating other women. Um, for me, like that's something that I really enjoy now coming from a sports background of like a feeling that there could only be one and there's so much competition. Now I like to uplift other people, you know, and I think that's something that in our circles we can all do. You know, we can support um, the women in our lives who aren't feeling seen. That can be a small act of just, you know, an encouragement or it can be something bigger, you know, and amplifying someone's story. Um, so I think that's some something we all can do every day. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, S-A-Y-S-H dot com is where we can go. We'll have that all linked up for you guys to get some shoes and support there. This is a question I ask everyone at the end called the three truths question. It's a hypothetical scenario, um, but I would like for you to imagine for a moment <clears throat> that you get to live as long as you want in this life, but then it's your last day. You get to accomplish, be, do, create, whatever you want to create from here moving forward. But for whatever reason in this hypothetical scenario, you've got to take everything with you that you've shared with the world. So this conversation is no longer here. Every interview you've done is gone. Anything you write is no longer around. Hypothetical. Uh, but you get to leave behind three truths, three lessons that you've learned from all of your experiences up until now, but then for the many years that you're going to live, and that's all we have to remember you by, are these three lessons. What would be those three truths for you? I think I would say... You are enough. Mm. I would leave that. Um, embracing failure is a part of your success. You know, I think that's been a theme throughout my life. Um, and you have purpose. You know, we we have a bigger purpose and why we're in the spaces that we are. I love those. Those are beautiful. Um, I would acknowledge you, Allison, for 
being purpose, you know, not, not letting your past identity be your purpose today, but being a generous human being, being kind, being giving, being thoughtful, um, being a great mother, a great friend, being creative, using your gifts in other ways than your physical talents. So I really acknowledge you Thank for you. being purpose, which doesn't have to be tied to an athletic talent. Um, and before I ask the final question, when I had Kobe on, he, he gave an answer to this question, which I thought was really powerful. Um, and he talked about greatness being the impact you make on other people. You mentioned impact as equaling success. Yeah. He said, greatness is about impacting the person next to you by essentially being a good person and then them impacting someone next to them and just being in that ripple effect. And I, I see you doing that in so many ways over the last 20 years, but also doing it in another way now through your brand, through your message, through the community that you're building in a different way. So I really acknowledge you for the gifts you're bringing, these unique gifts you bring beyond your athletic talents. Hey, to share that. As a human. Yeah, it's encouraging. Of course. And I'm curious for you, what is your definition of greatness? I think my definition of greatness is pursuing the process. You know, I think it looks so many different ways because we all have different journeys. And I think that when you honor how you get there, when you honor the things that you go through, I think that's a part of the greatness, you know, and I think doing more of embracing that um, and more of accepting the different definitions of like what greatness is for you. You know, it doesn't have to just look like one simple way. You know, I think there's so much greatness all around us. And and for me, it, it always comes back in, to that journey and to the path that you're on. I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown of today's show with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me, as well as ad-free listening experience, make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel on Apple Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend over on social media or text a friend. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcast and let me know what you learned over on our social media channels at Lewis House. I really love hearing the feedback from you and it helps us continue to make the show better. And if you want more inspiration from our world-class guests and content to learn how to improve the quality of your life, then make sure to sign up for the Greatness Newsletter and get it delivered right to your inbox over at greatness.com newsletter. And if no one has told you today, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. I can't keep this in anymore. I can't even believe I'm saying this, to be honest. You know you can tell me anything. I'm capital VFD42, capital Z, lowercase m, underscore, lowercase p, capital L, reverse slash, apostrophe, lowercase rs. <sighs> I know how you feel. Just between us, I'm underscore, comma, dash, underscore, dollar sign, capital G, lowercase w, comma, forward slash, dash, dash, reverse slash. No way. I am so glad we had this conversation. I know. Me too. Turn on total privacy with end-to-end -end encryption. WhatsApp. Message privately. 
Enjoy more summer when you shop at Family Dollar. Beat the heat with cool deals on a variety of your favorite drinks, like Dr. Pepper, Coca-Cola, Hawaiian Punch, and Gatorade. Everybody knows ice cold is the way to go, so don't forget to grab a cooler and ice. Find a great variety of tumblers to keep your drink cold. And if you're sharing, find plastic cups at great prices. Plus, we've got everything to celebrate dads and grads for their special day, including cards, balloons, and party accessories, all at great prices. Family Dollar, helping you do more. At Metro, get an iPhone 12 with 5G and a dual camera system for $99.99. Take amazing pictures and share them instantly. And don't put up with life's yada yada. Yada yada. Like photo bombers. Zoom, crop out, yada yada. And bye. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Get iPhone 12 with 5G with no activation fees and not a yada yada. Only at Metro by T-Mobile. Switch Metro, bring your ID. This offer isn't available for customers currently at T-Mobile or that have been with Metro in the past 180 days.